Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast. As always, I'm Gary McGowan, and this is my co-host, Mr. Patrick Frau. Welcome, Patty. How are you? I am absolutely splendid. Truly, truly splendid. And, uh, you know, I feel, what would be the word, uh, gracious that I've had to talk to you twice this week on the podcast, because as we discussed, well, it's going to be last week's podcast when people listen to it, but obviously we record it before it goes out naturally enough that's how time works um so these i only talked to you like two days ago and we spoke to for to each other for like two hours or something so you know a bit sick of you already two hours is my kind of limit for the week you know yeah of speaking to anyone whatever about you you know just generally speaking to people it's very difficult but anyway look social connection is very important for um aging and aging healthily and funnily enough today we're going to be talking about aging how to age gracefully but not too gracefully okay embracing the different life stages embracing the beauty of each respective stage and we're going to teach you exactly how to prepare for old age is that what we're going to teach no we're not going to say exactly how because look we're not magicians and everyone's life is obviously different this is just a generic very generic overview of okay try to get these things tick the boxes on all of these things as you go through your different life stages because I don't think anyone would disagree that the concerns of a five-year-old are different than the concerns of a 50-year-old, right? Both from the, like what's going on in their life perspective, but also how they should be thinking about their mortality. You know, I would argue a five-year-old's probably not going to be thinking about their mortality. Although I think it is around four to six that children start understanding, you know, what death is. Is that right? Yeah. But anyway, look, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about aging aging gracefully but not too gracefully as gary said and that'll make sense in a second but first of all i just wanted to start this episode by kind of going through like you read science like i I, a lot of people listening to this they read science in some manner whether it's you know popular science or academic papers or maybe they're involved in science or maybe they read some sort of science communication you know from I know an Instagram influencer, even, you know, like the stuff that we put up on our Instagram, you know, that could be considered science communication. But anyway, you read science in whatever manner, shape, or form, and they'll use the term aging. You know, it's like, oh, aging. And obviously, we use it in a colloquial sense. We all know, oh, he's aging, he's getting old. You know, it's like we, we kind of intuitively know what that means. However, there are scientific signs of an aging, even. Um, and I'm just going to cover them here and then I'm going to re- kind of reiterate that it actually doesn't matter for our discussion, <laughs> right? Because while understanding what aging is at a cellular level or a biological level is clearly important, it doesn't actually necessarily change our practices, right? That's not entirely true, but we'll come back to it after I, I go through these. Now, in modern science, at least, there's nine hallmarks of aging these are generally considered okay these are the kind of things that are going quote unquote wrong as you age right or rather they're changing from a youthful phenotype so the the young individual to an older phenotype or again this old older person right and those nine hallmarks are aging of aging are genomic instability uh telomere People say telomere or telomere. I say telomere, but apparently that's wrong. But anyway, telomere, attrition, right? And telomeres are basically like the caps on the end of your DNA, like the aglet on the end of your shoelace, basically, right? So they get shorter as you age, right? 
Um, and like if you've ever done that to your shoe, like the aglet comes off, the little plastic bit comes off, like the shoelace kind of starts to un, un, unwind effectively, right? Which obviously we don't want for our DNA, right? Um, and there's also epigenetic alterations and epigenetics is basically the interaction of the environment like what happened what's happening in the environment the signals that the environment is signaling to your dna and that's to you know shut off certain genes activate certain genes and you know basically allow your body to adapt to the environment and that could be the actual physical environment and it can also be the emotional environment like that that does in fact in fact uh change your epigenetics uh, and also how you interact with the world in general so basically it's the environment gene interaction epigenetics right and that's obviously you know, very uh sim- simplified but you get the idea so there's alterations to the epi- epigenetic signature that are different between early life and older life right and um, there's a loss of proteostasis you know do you want to go into that gary yeah in depth let's go no anyway we don't necessarily need to go into that there's also a deregulation of nutrient sensing you know again you see this in older older individuals there's sarcopenia we've talked about that with richie on the podcast before you know different things occur as you age and you've probably experienced this in your life you've seen individuals that are getting older and they start losing weight you know or they are just on that kind of a you know tea and biscuits diet you know they're not really regulated to any kind of appetite signals even though they they clearly also are right there's also mitochondrial dysfunction there's cellular senescence um stem cell stem cell exhaustion and altered inter intercellular communication i don't even know if i can read anymore but anyway a lot of things change from a youthful individual to an older individual right and we can look at this as purely a biological phenomenon in terms of stuff that we can measure in the lab right oh this is you know i'm studying aging and you know if you talk to a scientist that's like studying aging and they'll talk about different things they'll be in one of these aspects they'll be talking about changes in the the genome you know changes in uh, telomere length or whatever right they'll be talking about mitochondrial dysfunction they might be in one aspect of this or multiple aspects of this right but ultimately that's not necessarily what we as individuals care about you know well yeah that's the the upstream stuff right that's the actual mechanistic stuff the actual understanding the behind the scenes stuff but we actually care about the play we actually care about the play that is our life you know the stuff that's actually happening on the stage of life rather than the stuff that's behind the scenes right and well you know look myself and gary we like looking at these pathways we like understanding this stuff and being like okay well you know if we have this intervention it affects this blah 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 but ultimately you as an individual don't necessarily need to know that you don't need to go in depth onto that you just need to know the the downstream things you just need to know what you need to be doing throughout your life so that you can live a longer life so that you can either delay attenuate or ameliorate some of these different things that are going on now we aren't of the uh opinion that stopping this completely is you know first of all even a benefit to society like i don't think stopping aging is well first of all i don't think it's possible necessarily and i also don't think it is something that we would necessarily want to do right and while i do fully believe that i'm going to live to 120 you know like, is there, 
like, do you want to live to 150 if everyone else isn't living to 150? There's all these different things that we need to consider, you know? Do you even want to live to 70 if, you know, you're not able to move around? You're not able to enjoy the life that you actually wanted to enjoy as you aged, you know? Like, there's all of these questions that are brought up when we're talking about aging in general, right? Um, but ultimately, I just wanted to note those hallmarks of aging purely because that's often what's discussed. If you go on any podcast that are talking about aging, they'll bring up these different things. They'll talk about different nutrient interactions and be like, oh, you need to do some sort of mitochondrial biogenesis or mitochondrial re-regulating supplement protocol or, you know, exercise regimes and whatever else. And they'll have really sound mechanistic reasoning for this. But again, it doesn't necessarily influence what we as individuals should be doing and it often is missing the the forest for the trees they're just focusing on these mechanistic pathways rather than the overall arc of your life you know um but anyway do you have anything to say on that gary not so much really i think just viewing aging as unavoidable but something that you can mitigate the negative effects of or experience during that process i think that's a better way of looking at it than just simply saying right how can i live for as long as possible like obviously it's good to try to live a long life to extend your life to some degree but there can be trade-offs there and that's something that you see with a lot of um potential potential drugs or drug candidates or diet candidates that have been proposed in the anti-aging space that potentially come with a trade-off in quality of life in the meantime. One of those things that might impact your quality of life would be simply being able to enjoy food, you know, or being able to enjoy maybe a a drink of uh, beer or wine or something here and there with family or, you know, an indulgent meal, you know, pizza, the joys of life. You might have to trade off those simple um, life uh, experiences or, you might actually have to trade off more kind of concrete aspects of health, like muscle strength or fitness, because that's uh, some that's kind of one of the, the difficult things to um, to figure out when it comes to aging. Is okay, we've got these, let's say, um, protein regulators and our proteins in the body that potentially. Um, If we were to switch them off or to switch other ones on, we might be able to prolong life or to mitigate the stress in our cells or these types of things, the hallmarks that Patty's been discussing. But sometimes, while that might prevent, let's say, certain cancers um, or cell replication becoming chaotic, what it might also do... Apologies, we just had a minor technical error. The connection cut out, so I'm just going to continue as I was. As I was saying, I was discussing the fact that some of the potential um, mechanistic hypotheses as to why, as to how we might prevent aging or prevent, let's say, um, cellular replication getting out of control, as in the case of cancer, some of the um, mechanisms at play there are also those mechanisms that would stop us potentially from being able to build muscle and maintain our strength and maintain our bone mass and these types of things. So this is one of the difficult things about um, aging or preventing aging is that we potentially could find ways to prolong life, um, maybe by days, weeks, months, years, 
but that could come at the expense of the quality of that life in the meantime. You know, one of those examples would be people, excuse, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> oh, people often suggest that high protein diets might accelerate uh, aging. And if you were to consume a lower protein diet, that might um, reduce aging um, or allow you to prolong your lifespan due to the effect of IGF-1 and mTOR and how these things impact cellular replication. But you, if you were to do that, we know that high protein diets generally lead to higher levels of muscle mass and muscle mass maintenance into aging. So maybe the proposed mechanism could lead to you leaving, living an extra year or two, but you might be bed bound for an extra year or two as well, or an extra five years. Or it might theoretically have prolonged your life by five years even, but you actually slipped when you were yep. 85 and didn't have the strength, didn't have the muscle mass, didn't have whatever. You were bed bound for whatever reason. And now your life was actually brought back 10 years. Like you dropped 10 years off your life, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're really banking on the, on, on the long term there. You know, that's a, that's a difficult bet. If you're going to say, right, you know, I'm going to sacrifice all of this now for a year or two at the end, which you don't even know is going to come. And you're potentially missing out on your favorite foods, missing out on building muscle, missing out on getting absolutely jacked out of your mind, etc., cetera, <laughs> um, and preserving all of other elements of your health in the meantime. I certainly am not enthusiastic about um, people who are, are very, you know, hyped up about low protein diets and fasting and that types of thing, or those types of things for extending your lifespan, primarily because of those trade-offs in the short term. And the fact that we're really heavily relying on mechanistic studies, as well as, you know, basically lab animal studies that are not really transferable to humans. So I'm not particularly enthusiastic. Are you? No, not really. However, that's not to say that there isn't truth here. You know, for example, like you see a lot of bodybuilders and they do all these things that are basically turning on growth signals and they want to get as big as fucking humanly possible. Obviously they want to, they want to turn on these growth signals. Right. And, but you see them all, they all look 10 years older than they actually are. You know, if you take a bodybuilder who's 25, he looks 35. You take a bodybuilder who's 35, they probably look 50, you know? So it's clearly evident that what they're doing is aging them or giving them the, the phenotypic, like the outward expression or appearance of being aged, you know? And obviously stuff is happening at the cellular level as well. That's, you know, how it happens. You know, it's cellular organ level, you know, world. <laughs> so it's clearly that there is truth here. However, it doesn't mean that you have to buy into this wholesale and go, oh, I'm going to go on this low protein diet, whatever. And there are obviously other people that would be, you know, more akin to us in terms of thinking about this longer term about, you know, across the lifespan. And certain people have advocated stuff like, you know, higher protein diets when you're younger and building more muscle, like, you know, whatever, up until you're 25, maybe whatever. Um, when you're really in that period of growth, you need more protein. Like protein is one of the, key determinants of height in individuals you know that's across the world people who eat higher protein diets get taller you know that's why like the dutch for example are quite tall now they have the genes as well the irish are quite tall especially if you're a dairy farmer just you know saying um but individuals who eat protein they tend to grow taller right so we might have that early period of life where we have a higher protein diet we build a lot of muscle we build a lot of our foundations we get taller we get all the different things that protein is good for and then through the middle of life 
you kind of consume a lower protein diet, right? So you get the life extending properties of that, you know, and just focus on the minimal amount of protein to maintain the gains you made in the first 25 years of life. And then as you age and you get this kind of anabolic resistance coming on, then you start ramping up protein again, because whatever you're 75, 80, 85 now, and you've maintained your muscle mass and now you're kind of getting over it. So there are ways around it, and it's not just a, an either or switch. However, again, like Gary said, this is, you know, you're banking on a lot. You're, it's like, this is not proven stuff, right? Now, since I say that, we might change our tune in the future and go, you know what, actually, this seems like a good idea, you know? Like, I definitely don't think consuming like four grams of protein per day for the rest of your life is a good idea. Well, potentially also taking, you know, anabolic steroids, growth hormone, or secretagogues or whatever. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a good thing for health. Like people talk about, or sorry, aging, I should say, like people talk about growth hormone in as a, a hormone replacement therapy for healthy aging, you know, like say for example, Joe Rogan, he's on growth hormone and testosterone. Now I can maybe get behind the testosterone. Now it makes sense. But the growth hormone is like, this is probably making you age faster than you would otherwise, you know? And so it's definitely not an anti-aging miracle, even though, younger individuals do have higher growth hormone levels you know so it's like there's a lot of stuff so we don't want to get caught in the weeds with mechanistic stuff especially not in this episode now there's a few episodes we have planned in the future where we might dive down some of these rabbit holes because obviously you know we're talking about health this stuff is important and because you want to know what to do but ultimately right now what we want to talk about is how to prepare yourself for a healthy aging throughout the years this episode is going to be relatively practical um in terms of well first of all we're not financial advisors or uh whatever you want to call it broad spectrum health advisors like this is just a discussion between me and gary that you happen to be privy to um because we record it um but ultimately you're in charge of running your own life you know you might say okay what they have laid out there is pretty good and i think i might follow some of those suggestions and um, but ultimately look you're in charge and this is not medical advice um but ultimately we want to look into healthy aging from both a selfish perspective and then also a societal level perspective right and gary has some things to say about the stigma of aging which we'll get onto in a second but i also just want you to think about this stuff purely from a Again, we'll talk about the selfish stuff. That, that's easy to understand. You, know, you want to age gracefully. You also want your family, friends, the people you love to age gracefully. You know, you want them to be in good health as they age. So obviously it's important in that perspective. But also if we look at it on a population basis, like we have an aging population. Now in most Western countries, we have an aging population. The population dynamics mean that there's more people living longer so therefore there's more people in the older age categories, whatever you want to categorize them as like, there's more individuals that are 30 to 50 than there are, you know, whatever, 10 to 20 or 20 to 30 or whatever. Like we're growing in that, or we're trending in that direction, that kind of distribution chart. It's not many people are young anymore. More people are old and they're living longer. And this is obviously has broad implications for society because those people you know, we have it arbitrarily arbitrarily set that you retire at 65 or 68 to keep pushing it up. And the reason they keep pushing it up is because people are living longer. And while, you know, whatever, 5, 10, 15% of the population used to live beyond 65, now lots of the population, a much larger percentage of the population are living beyond that 
you know, pension age, right? So it is stuff that is going to have economic consequences in the future. And while we are obviously talking about encouraging people to live a healthy life and all that kind of stuff, you still do need to think about the economic stuff and you still do need to think about the societal level stuff, you know, because if there is an aging population, that means that more people are going to be required in jobs that care for people that are aging more, you know, age related issues are going to be a burden on the medical system, you know, and also you see it even in stuff like politics, you know, where like America, classic example, like in the last presidential election, it was two like whatever septuagenarians, you know, two 70 odd year olds running for president, you know, like think about being a 70 year old, like my dad's in his seventies, right? Now he's in good health and whatever else, but like he was born in 1950. Imagine living most of your life, right? So 1950 to even though the internet and everything started coming about in the 1990s, we'll say it really started to take off with, you know, just before the dot-com bubble and whatever else. So the 2000s, that means that he lived 50 years of his life, you know, the vast majority of his developmental years and his actual like life before the internet. And 20 years on from that, we're now saying that individuals that are in their seventies know how to navigate the, the landscape that we live in, you know? And you can think about this, like try to say to your seven-year-old granddad or whatever, like oh uh yeah i am a, a social media influencer he's gonna be like what what the fuck are you talking about you know so like it has implications for society politics everything we're not gonna get into that today though <laughs> um, but i just wanted to bring that up because again it is important to understand this stuff it is important to think about this stuff and what we're going to talk about practical level stuff there is more to this conversation right but anyway gary you want to talk a little bit either about what i just discussed there or we can move on to the stigma of age yeah, because I think that like one thing coming into this discussion is that like when you think about aging, as I said at the beginning, everyone wants to prevent aging or to slow it down or to ensure that, you know, the end of their life or the days where they're maybe not as capable as they once were are as far off into the future as possible. That's understandable. But there's also some trade offs there that might actually lead to potentially worse quality of life for you um, and potentially broader poor cultural perspectives, let's say, on aging. And Carl Jung wrote, wrote a bit about this in terms of what, what, what he referred to and others have referred to as the cult of youth, whereby our culture effectively romanticizes all that is youthful. And that's obviously something that makes sense. That's something that's pretty much always been the case where, you know, the, the ambition, the creativity, the energy, the carefree nature of youth, that's something that's kind of romanticized. However, what that can sometimes do is actually devalue the uh, or, or degrade your valuation of normal aging and some of the value that can be uh, gained from that and gained from elderly people. Because where you see this being particularly prominent, I suppose, would be when we romanticize people like, let's say, the 85 year old hiker or the 85 year old powerlifter. And those things are really cool because it's like, right, this is clearly an exceptional person who has maintained a certain way of life far beyond what most people would be able to do. Or even it's also giving you kind of roadmap. You're like, Oh, this person is able to do something that I think I want to be able to do. How do they do it? Yeah, exactly. And, and that that's, you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with aiming at that, but what it does is, it, have, it makes it seem like the normal path of, you know, aging, becoming the, 
the grandfather or grandmother who's maybe slowing down a bit, maybe minding the kids, maybe, you know, baking a bit of bread, dropping it off, just kind of the more casual activities of old age. It makes that seem like, oh, that's banal and boring and not something that's particularly important. We should all aim for the exceptional things. And obviously we, we do that with every age group, really. You know, obviously we will romanticize, you know, the, the CEOs and the entrepreneurs, but not necessarily the people who work as healthcare assistants and take care of our, take care of our grandparents. We kind of miss the, the hero in the everyday. But that's something that you need to remind yourself of, particularly when it comes to um, aging, because I guess of how rare those exceptions are, you know, because you don't really know until you're at that point in your life like if you want to be the 85 year old hiker, you know, are you going to genuinely see value in that? Or might you get value from giving back to your kids, your grandkids, and maybe even your great grandkids? Because that's one of the things that you, um, you do see when you're, when you're young, you know, and you start to maybe get a little bit older into your twenties, potentially into your thirties, you start to view your, your elders, like your grandparents, for example, as being really wise, you love hearing their stories. You know, I love when my granddad starts telling stories about when he was in the military or when he was growing up and these types of things, because it's very different to my life. And as a result, I can learn a lot from that. And he might share lessons that are still transferable to how I live my life now. And that's what builds a kind of a strong family unit, not just at the very close nuclear level, but more broadly, where we've got this kind of transition of generational wisdom, knowledge, advice, etc., that creates strong families and as a result, strong communities and strong countries. And that's clearly something that we would, you know, see as being quite valuable. You see a lot of this these days where um for example the the with with uh, more women moving into the workplace and generally both uh, the man and the woman of heterosexual couples being in the workplace there's a big burden on people who want to, let's say, have multiple children because they have to then pay for childcare, you know, because it is the norm for the woman to be in the workplace. And that has sometimes been remedied in certain cultures or in certain types of uh, families or ethnicities where you've got grandparents who live in the home. For example, that was that was a tradition in, in Ireland for a long time. Um, not so much anymore. Still, I think India is probably one of the more robust countries for still having that. Do you know of any other examples? Italy was a good one. And the only reason I say it is because they have multi-generational households, which is why they were hit so bad with COVID as well. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think of that. But um, but yeah, and that's some cultures still kind of uphold that a bit more than others. But clearly there's an advantage there because one, if you've got, let's say, a multi-generational household, you are obviously looking after, you know, your elders, but they're also maybe looking after your kids. And there's that there's really nice back and forth there. So obviously not everyone has the luxury of of having, you know, three generations in their life um, or that level of stability. But the point that I'm making here is that each of us at our respective level, whether you're 18 years old or 80 years old, have great value to offer that is actually unique and can't be offered by someone at a different age. So I think before we go running away with the idea that we want to avoid aging and that we never want to get old and we never just want to be the guy, you know, rocking in the armchair with the newspaper, remember that there's actually a lot of value in that, both in terms of the joy that you might experience in life at that point, but also the joy and the value that you can bring to others as well that maybe don't understand your perspective or don't understand where you grew up or the lessons you learned. So I think that's really, really important. 100%. And obviously, look, we live in an age, like I was saying earlier on, 
where like my dad was born in 1950, you know? So it's like, he's been through so many things. I like, think about 1950s Ireland, like it was basically a third world. Well, technically it was a second world country, but that's, we don't talk about second world countries anymore, but it was basically a third world country. Like he was talking about the electrification of Ireland, <laughs> you know, like stuff like that. You're just like, you can't even fathom it, you know? And um, like he grew up in Clarence street, like literally in the rubble of the bombing, from world war ii like ireland got bombed by the germans by accident they say um you know so it's like you like you can't even fathom that stuff and obviously his granddad or sorry his dad my granddad like he fought in world war ii like he signed up to the british army at 16 years old you know he's fighting in palestine at 17 you know so it's like the stories that they're able to tell you you know you have so much to learn from that you know and if you don't respect that and honor that like what is all this stuff for (laughs) You know, um, but also I wanted to say another thing on, on this whole idea, and it is something that we definitely do in society these days, more so even than in past years, because, you know, once we brought in, which is, you know, effectively after World War One, this kind of idea of a, a pension, you know, an idea of, OK, you're actually going to retire and either the government is going to look after you because, you know, you fought the Great War. You know, we, we're going to look after you because you are like you are our best you were you sacrificed for us so we're going to sacrifice for you right so they lay down their lives you know the ones that came back they took the fruits of that by making the country great again uh, or better than it's ever been but also they had a pension now to think about they had okay actually they're going to look after me in my older age or you know i have an injury or whatever right and that's sorry people thinking it's much the way christianity took hold in the western world at least um they started talk, thinking about a future where they didn't have to work, you know, like you think about it in reality, like humans are the only animal on earth that pay to live on earth, you know, like it's kind of fucked up when you think about it. However, like that's the burden we have to face for all the technological advancements that we take for granted, you know, like I didn't build this you know, apartment that I'm living in, you know, but I paid for it, you know, I'm paying to live here, you know, so you know, there are advantages and pros and cons to that. But anyway, what I'm saying with this is like, they now had this idea of thinking to the future and not just like preparing for the next year and the year after or whatever. You know, that's why people had fucking hundreds of kids back in the day, because that was their insurance. That was their pension. That was like, you guys are going to look after me in my old age. Right. But now we had a, the state to do that. Right. And it kind of made people think, okay, there's something in the future, 65 or 60. I think it started at 60 was the starting pension age, but I'm not age or I'm, I'm not sure. Um, so we're thinking, oh, there's stuff to do in the future. So that means that you now can potentially start delaying gratification. Like, oh, I'm not going to do these things that I want to do right now. I'll do them in the future. Right. Thinking back to that 85 year old hiker, like he probably just didn't go hiking throughout his you know, formative years, uh, his, you know, working years. And now he's 85 and he's like, yeah, I actually want to go out and do these hikes. And luckily he's put in a position where he's able to go out and do this, you know? So there's this idea now in the whole culture, society as at large, where, oh, I'll just delay the things that I want to do and I'll do them in future, right? Now it's less, millennials do this a little bit less, like they're more likely to be like, no, I'm actually just going to go out and I'm going to ba- going to go to Bali and live out there for you know however long. But a lot of the last few generations have done this. Okay, I'm going to wait till I'm 65, 70, and then I'm going to do the things that I wanted to do. And the reason I brought up Christianity was because that is effectively how Christianity spread in the Western world because it was like, okay, look, you're a peasant in, I don't know, medieval Norway or whatever. And it's like, look, you have a shit life. You know, you, you have an objectively and subjectively shit life, you know? 
this God comes along, this Christian God comes along and goes, okay, look, I can't actually do much to alleviate your suffering in the here and now, but in the next life. Look, if you're a good person in the here and now, in this life, you'll get rewarded in the next life, you know? And we've effectively taken that on in terms of right now. It's like, okay, if you're a good person, you do the good things now, in the next life, post-pension, uh, post-retirement, you can live the life you want to live, you know? And they always say that older people, they're like, youth is wasted on the young. You know, it's like you have all this youthful energy and you're like, oh, I'm ambitious. I'm doing all this kind of stuff. And then you're like, okay, I'll do all the stuff. I'll work all the hours. I'll do all the things, get all the money, you know, get the, the, the Lamborghini. I'll get the house. I'll do all these things. And then in the future, I'll do the things that I actually really want to do. But then all of a sudden you get to your 60s, 70s and you're kind of just like, man, I'm just tired, you know? So I don't know if you have anything to say on that, Gary, um, before we get into a few of the, the more practical things, because look, that's what this episode is supposed to be about. <laughs> yeah, I'd say we'll move on to the practical stuff, because otherwise we could go back and forth on this for another hour. Because <laughs> uh, it is an interesting discussion. But anyway, look, we'll get into the practical stuff. Now, the first thing we're going to talk about is financial health, which might seem a little bit counterintuitive, because neither myself nor Gary are financial advisors. Um, like, yes, we own a business. Um, but that doesn't mean we necessarily know anything. Like I like economics. I like that kind of stuff. I like reading about this stuff. I like investing, blah, blah, blah. I like all that stuff, but that does not an expert make me, you know? So the reason we're going to start on financial health is because this is clearly something that you need to be aware of. Now we can talk about all the other health stuff and all the other things, but it kind of pales in comparison. If you're trying to eat your avocado on toast, if you're like, okay, look, I don't have a good job. I don't have the ability to pay for the things that I need, you know, like they always, uh, a recent kind of thing uh, with like the, the 2020, you know, crash in the economy, the stock market and all that kind of stuff because of, you know, COVID, et cetera. Like people were saying, oh, it's like the, the 1920s, you know, with the great depression and all that kind of stuff. And I read, you know, just one of these meme things where it's like, oh yeah, like in the 1920s, you know, people lost their job, you know, they lost their house, they couldn't feed themselves. And it's like, cool. In, in 2020, none of us were able to do that stuff before the, uh, <laughs> before the economy crashed, you know? So it's like, that's kind of, it, it, we're in a different world now, you know? Um, but either way, regardless we still have to look after our financial health and look most people just ignore money stuff they just you know it's the elephant in the room we just won't discuss it and as a result no one has a fucking clue how money works and no one has a clue how to prepare themselves financially um but anyway look there's also another concern especially with an aging population and that is that social security or your state pension or whatever it's very likely to run out you know because the way the pension works is that you're putting money in now right? And they sell it to you as you put the money in now and we'll invest it and, you know, you'll get money out in the future. But the money you're putting in now is paying for the people that are taking their pension now. You know, it's not being saved. It's not being invested for the future, you know? So this relies on, if you want your pension in the future, you're relying on other people working so that they pay into your pension. (laughs) You know, they pay for you in old age, right? And this is why, you know, we constantly in, in Europe, at least the way we've tried to solve this issue is by, you know, immigration. We're like, oh, we'll get youthful workers from like the Middle East or Africa or whatever, because we need people to pay into the system to pay for the pensions, right? And then that's obviously just one microcosm of, you know, immigration or whatever. But ultimately, that is what's happening with the pension. So if that's the case and you're thinking, Jesus, I want to live to 120, 
you need to be looking after your financial health. You need to have your finances in order because your state pension is not going to cut it. First of all, it's very little money as is, you know, um, but it probably won't stretch as far in the future as well, you know, or what they will likely do, which is what they're currently doing. They'll just keep pushing the age of retirement further and further back. It'll be 68. And you're like, okay, cool. I can keep working this job until I'm 68. And then by the time you get to 68, the pension age is 78, you know, like that's just what's going to happen because they effectively need to reduce the amount of people that are getting pensions because, and they need to increase the amount of people that are working for longer. Right now, again, just a few things on finances. First of all, inflation is a thing, right? So you need to account for inflation with all of your financial stuff. Now, depending on where you are in the world and depending on if you're post pandemic or whatever, like you need to ensure that your money is going up two to 5% per year, right? So if you are on the same money you were on 10 years ago, you're actually losing money. Your purchasing power is degrading because inflation is eating away at that, depending on where you are at roughly a 2% per year rate. So you effectively need, if you want to be financially secure in the future, you need to be, be getting like a two to 5% raise every single year, right? And now that's not possible in every single job, but this is, you know, generalized advice. You know, I would love to be able to go, look, you just go into your boss and tell them you need a two to 5% raise or just go out and get a better job or whatever. That's not always possible. You know, you need to take that into account though, that you're like, okay, I'm losing out on money. I'm, my purchasing power is going down and you need to plan for that accordingly, right? It would also make sense if you contributed to a private pension, right? Because as I said, the pension is going to run out. If you want to retire at 40 and sip fucking pina coladas on the beach or whatever, like you're going to need to have your finances in order to be able to do that. Even if you want to retire at 65 or 68 or whatever the pension age is, you know, you're going to need to have the money to do that, right? So contributing to a pension makes sense. Look, it's tax advantaged and compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. So the earlier you start investing into that, even if it's like infinitesimally small money, like that's going to compound over years, right? So if you haven't done it, just set up your own private pension. You know, your work might be able to set you up with one or you can just go into, you know, a pension company and set one up, right? Now, another thing which has been done for eons to prepare yourself uh, in a financial way for the future is to have children, right? Which sounds counterintuitive, but having children means that there's other earners. It's kind of like a Ponzi scheme, just like pensions are kind of like a Ponzi scheme. Um, just like university is kind of like a Ponzi scheme as well. Um, but basically those children are then going to look after you in the future, right? So it's, it's financial insurance. Like that's the way humans have done it for eons. So I'm not going to argue against the, it, it has merits, it has cons, but you know, people have been doing that. And if you plan on not having children, like a lot of people do these days, like you're going to need to invest the money that you would have been investing in children. And you need to make sure that that's going towards your future, right? Because I know a lot of people go, oh, I'm not going to have children. And then all of a sudden they've spent all the money that they would have spent on children, but now they don't have that financial security that having children would, ha would have offered, you know? And again, look, you can argue if it's right or wrong to leave the financial burden to your children or the, the ethical or the ethics of making your children look after you in your old age. But if you don't have children and then you don't save or invest that money for the future, no one's going to be looking after you in your old age. You know, we'd love to be able to say that the state is going to do it. But again, as we said, like social security, your pension, it's probably going to be running dry by the time you want to retire. So we have to consider that stuff, right? Um, 
And you also have to plan ahead and consider whether you need care in your old age. So you need to put money aside for that. Now that's hard to plan for. Um, but look, if you have a lot of, you know, I don't know, neurodegenerative disease in your family, you're probably gonna need to put money aside to look after yourself, which is less than ideal because if you do have neurodegenerative disease in your family, you're probably putting money towards looking after the people that currently have neurodegenerative disease in your family, <laughs> you know? Um, but again, look, I'm saying these as, these are things you need to be thinking about. I'm not saying that these are easy things to actually do in practice, you know? So don't, don't confuse the two. You know, I'm not, you know, oh, like uh, on my high horse in this ivory tower, like, oh, just, you know, put more money over this way and put more money over this way. It's like, we realize that people have finite resources. You know, we have finite resources, you know? Um, but you just need to be thinking about this stuff if we're going to be talking about healthy aging, because again, everyone just doesn't discuss this. And it's like, oh yeah, I'll just live till you're 120. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. Now you're a homeless man at 90, you know, less than that. Um, getting health insurance and life insurance, pretty, pretty standard advice you know i don't think anyone would necessarily disagree with that life insurance especially if you have children um and health insurance especially if you live in a country that doesn't have robust like socialized medicine you know like if you live in america and you don't have health insurance it's like okay you're kind of you're going to be in a bad way when you're older you know forget about if you have any accidents injuries or whatever in the the interim you know you're going to be in a bad way because you know the american medical system is you know bankrupt city but you're going to be in a really bad way if you're like, okay, I'm going to get old and I'm almost definitely going to require care and you don't have health insurance, you know? And then finally, you know, you want to get your last will and testament together so that if you do have money in different places, because you've been saving, you've been following all the other stuff that, you know, we were just talking about, you want to make sure that it goes to the right areas. You know, you don't want to have like your five children from two different mothers or whatever fighting over, the the money that where where did you put it oh this is what he said he promised me blah 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 like get your last will and testament in order and you know that's all i'll say on the the finances stuff you anything to add gary no no i'm happy with that i mean if we can all get all of that done we'd be in a fantastic place you know but i think the most important thing is to just start with something you know don't keep living day to day week to week because if you do that and you don't have assets you don't have anything that's accumulating etc you're going to be in a bad place in a few years time yeah and look again not financial advice yeah i'm an idiot gary's an idiot certainly but ultimately look looking after your money and looking after your financial health is going to be beneficial for your actual health all right but anyway, let's actually move on to the meat and potatoes of this episode, even though we've been talking for you know however long. This is the stuff that we need to be thinking about as we prepare ourselves through the different life stages. So Gary, do you want to take it away? So let's start zero to 18. What are we looking at? You know? Yeah, so we probably don't have too many four-year-olds listening to the podcast. However, be surprised. however, probably some parents, hopefully lots of hopeful parents, you know, and maybe you have some four-year-old friends that you look after. Maybe you're a, a football coach and you coach, you know, the, what are they call the cool camps, etc. So you might have some four-year-olds, some three-year-olds that you're trying to help out on the path. And of course, there are many, many things um, related to human development that occur very early on in life that are um, within your control and beyond your control. Okay. Kids need a lot of different things to be able to um, develop normally. You know, they need love, care, attention. They need an environment that they feel uh, safe in. They need to be able to explore new things. And when they discover something new to, you know, 
appraise it. You know, is this a threat? Is this not a threat? Is this something I can do? Is it something I can't do? And then to be able to repeat those um, exposures or novel tasks over time. And that's how we end up learning. So, you know, the child will initially um, learn how to control their head and then they'll learn how to look side to side and they'll start reaching for things and they'll start to roll over eventually a few months in and you know then they'll start to maybe pull themselves up into sitting or push themselves up into a kind of a dragon position in in, in prone and all these types of things eventually getting to the point where they can sit unsupported, they can stand supported, then they can maybe cruise along objects holding on to the side of the couch. And then eventually they'll try to take a step on their own. And when they do that, they'll fall over and they'll have learned that lesson um, both consciously, you know, and in terms of the actual underlying nervous system and muscular adaptations. And that process continues and continues and continues. And you can see that that is not something that ever really ends. But early on, it seems like that's almost automated. You know, it seems like, oh, yeah, we all just learned to walk. You know, that we just did. Like everyone can learn to walk. Everyone can learn to catch a ball. Everyone can learn to jump up and down. But that's not necessarily the case. You still need to have the exposure. You need to have the safe environment. You need to have the encouragement, etc. If you were to, take a kid and um, put them in an environment where they weren't allowed to move at all and they aged up to you know three years of age they wouldn't have met their developmental milestones okay so although that may seem automated it's still something that needs to be um, monitored checked facilitated by parents or healthcare professionals etc okay all going well you begin to explore the world you begin to pick up language you begin socializing you start smiling very early on around six weeks you might start smiling then moving forward into you know becoming a, a toddler and a young child you know under 10 years of age you're starting to you know pick up uh, language to a, a greater degree you've you've gone from just copying maybe what your parents were saying to maybe using some words of your own that you found at school and you know you're now writing sentences and all these types of things as you move through all of those stages of life you're picking up really valuable skills related to movement socializing language intellectual development etc all of those are essential for your future it can be really hard to catch up later on in life so if you've got those things in place early on they'll probably stand to you. You can still catch up later on. You know, some people only learn to, to write as adults or to read as adults. But those are skills that a lot of us take for granted in the developed world. Okay. We all are, you know, living, most people listening to this podcast live in relatively advanced societies. Most of us can probably read and write. Most of us probably have experience from school, maybe speaking in front of others, um, conversing with people of diverse backgrounds, and they're all actually really unique educational experiences that facilitate your health long term, because I can go to, you know, France or even, you know, Spain, Portugal, countries that aren't even, you know, necessarily English speaking languages. And I can find some things in common. There might be cultural things we have in common. A lot of people will have a bit of English. Maybe I'll have done a bit of Spanish in school. I did German myself. But these are the types of things that you're picking up that facilitate greater opportunities to develop in future. For example, I did German in school. If I wanted to go and work in Europe, I could go to Germany. I could go to um, Switzerland 
or um, similar countries where German or German-like and languages are spoken i think i i just had a seizure <laughs> but luckily for you as well like the germanic people basically conquered the world like you even have like spanish people like spanish names like rodriguez you're like oh that's the most spanish sounding name ever it's like roderick it's literally a german name <laughs> yeah so my overall point there is it's it's non-specific is what i'm saying is that the education that you pick up along the way both formally and informally you know through your basic development and more advanced development in school college etc all of that contributes to greater life experiences greater optionality which is something that's really important for example if i was let's say working in the pharmaceutical industry and I wanted to go and make more money in line with Patty's advice on financial health, and I can speak German, I can go to Switzerland, or I can go to Germany, maybe where there'll be more opportunities for me to work in pharma and get a greater salary. Okay, fantastic. I'm, I'm on the path. Or I want to go to Switzerland, because I want to live in the mountains, and I want to have a gun in my house, even though I, I think it's only for Swiss citizens. But um, again, I have options because of those things. So your educational base, both physical literacy and intellectual literacy, if you will, are really important for the future. Now, in terms of what you can actually do, you know, because so you've learned the basics of the culture that's around you. You've gone to school, you've learned to read and write, you can throw a ball, catch a ball, etc. Is that is that enough? Is that all you're supposed to do when you're when you're under 18 years of age? No, of course not. There are other things you can do. You can start to develop more advanced uh, fitness. You can be doing a lot of uh, aerobic exercise as a kid. It's it's great to lay that base when you're young. It gives you a very broad base um, from which you can go into many different sporting activities or just general activities, um, whether they be work or whether they be leisure. Okay, if you've got an aerobic base, you've got more options. Once again, if you then start to develop some strength, um, uh, mobility, the ability to to squat, to deadlift, to throw, to catch. Um, to a more advanced level, taking those movement skills up a notch when you're in your teens, that will really stand to you as well. So these things are going to contribute to your health long term, because this this is really the point where we start to, during puberty, lay down a lot more bone mineral density. We're going to be laying down a lot more muscle mass. And if you can start that process earlier, that's a much bigger reserve that's there for you um, when you transition eventually into the older uh, stages of life. So I think that was most of, I guess, what yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. So I always think of it as like you literally have zero to 18 as free play. You know, you ever start like a, a video game and they have this like first level where it's like, here, learn the controls, you know, and it's like, here's how you jump and all that kind of stuff. That's basically what zero to 18 years is, you know, like it's really important. It lays the foundation for everything we're going to do. And if you don't learn in the first part, you know, you're going to stumble your way along. You know, it's basically here. You need 18 years to read the manual you know i know everyone these days they just don't read the manual you know but imagine you did read the manual and now all of a sudden you're like oh i actually know all of the different controls i know all of the different things of how to run this computer or whatever it is you know it's like that's that's what your zero to 18 is and there's a few core things that like gary was noting there it's like humans are a hyper social species you know so you need to become sociable you need to understand human culture and i don't mean like in a theoretical 
you know, way like, oh, let's read books on human culture, like an alien would or something. I mean, like, no, you actually have to be able to interact with your family group, your extended friends and family group, and then also, you know, your broader society as a, a whole. Like, you need to learn how to act in society. That's what zero to 18 is. Imagine you can imagine if you don't learn this, you know, you're a 21 year old and you, you can't even go up to a, a till because you're like, oh, I, I can't talk to a, a stranger, you know, like that's you, you were supposed to learn that before 18, you know, now, obviously, look, this is the you know, ideal or the, the normal. Obviously, there's individuals that this doesn't fit for. Like if you have some sort of, I don't know, neurodivergence, you're on the autism spectrum, for example, you know, this is not going to be, it's not going to come natural for you. You know, you have a, uh, effectively a, a handicap in this, in this regard, you know, you're, you're handicapped in terms of your ability to learn the human culture or interact with the human culture. So you're going to have to work harder on that and it still might not be enough. Right. But otherwise, you know, we're talking about this normal, general population here you need to learn hypersociality hypersociality because that's what humans do right so you need to learn that if you didn't learn that like you're listening to this as a 34 year old and you struggle with these things you're like oh jesus i still get my mother to uh book in with a dentist or whatever it's like okay look you need to overcome this you you're a 34 year old and that was something you're supposed to learn as a a young child you know get it sorted now you know um so hypersociality, we need to learn that. And the way that's kind of expressed is you need to be able to interact with your culture, your society, right? Now, ideal, you'd be able to interact with other cultures and societies. That would be fantastic. But at the very least, you know, let's make sure you're able to interact with your culture and society, right? Then we also want to, like Gary was saying, we want to make sure we're hitting these developmental milestones through our younger years. And effectively what we're doing there is we're developing basic movement pattern competence. You know, we're basically, oh, am I able to move through the environment you know am i able to control my own body in relation to that environment you know that's all we're learning right so if you're thinking of this and you're like oh what, am I, what should i do with my children you just want to make sure that they're able to do some basic movements you know are they able to run are they able to jump are you able to do a squat are they able to you know crawl like any of these kind of things that you'd be like, okay, they're basic movement patterns. Like some of them you'd see in the gym, for example, you're like, okay, I want to do a squat, a, a hip hinge, a lunge and you know, different things like that. Yeah. You can think of it in that perspective, but we need to think of it more broadly as well, you know? And the easiest way that we do this in society is just getting children to do multiple different sports, you know, getting them to be active in general, you know, go out, climb some trees, play football, you know, do whatever, right. Get into fights, <laughs> you know, like all of that kind of stuff. You want to encourage that and you want to make sure that your child is learning basic, basic movement patterns. You know, if you don't do that and you're, you know, a 25 year old or whatever, and it's your first time in the gym and, you know, you've never moved you. The last time you went for a run or did exercise was when you were like eight, like there's a huge deficit here. We have to overcome that. You know, there's something that it's going to take you a while to even just learn the movements forget about like, you know, trying to build muscle for, forget about trying to build strength. Like all that stuff was obviously happening in the background, but the real goal with the first while, if that's the case for you as a 25 year old, who's never done any of this stuff, you're really just trying to catch up and gain back some of this basic, basic movement patterns. You know, like I've seen individuals who are in their twenties and like you ask them to jump over a, like a very small step and they're like, I, I can't, you know, like they, they don't know how to jump you know, which you can imagine is not ideal. Like we have to do stuff like step in life, you know, you're gonna have to jump up onto a small step, you know, out of the way of a car or whatever, you know? So it's like, if you can't do that, 
like you're at a severe disadvantage in society. So we need to have those basic movement patterns because again, if we don't learn them earlier in life, you're fucking definitely not going to magically learn them when you're in your later life. And you can imagine as a 70 year old, you don't have these basic, basic movement patterns. You know, you're not able to squat. Like you're not going to be able to just do this easy sit sit to stand out of a, a chair, you know, like you never even squatted when you were younger. You don't have even the motor control to be able to do this, you know? So we need to develop that when we're younger. And again, if you haven't developed it, you know, in the first 18 years, look, you need to play, play catch up, right? And then we also need to develop like basic education standards. You know, we need to attain them. Most in the Western society, or we don't really need, need to think about this too much because most people, you know, you go to primary school, secondary school, and you attain at least those basic levels of competence in, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, whatever. But obviously they can be developed further. Like I think both of us would argue that science should be something that people should be learning, even if it's just the the way the scientific method, because first of all, the scientific method is not intuitive. Like we've had it for like 400 years and humans have been around for thousands of years, more than that. <laughs> so it's not intuitive. It's not something that just like comes to you naturally. So some sort of scientific literacy would be great. And like Gary said, some sort of ability to speak multiple languages would be even even better you know like think about the amount of time in ireland how much time money and effort is spent teaching children irish like oscarga and they they can't speak it you know like and it's not even a case of poor teaching there's just so little incentive for it and there's multiple ways that we could incentivize that in society but also you think about it like i know you're down in in kerry which is closer to the gaeltacht than where i'm from um but there's more irish speakers in dublin than there are anywhere else in Ireland, you know? So we should be using that, you know? You should be having that as a, as a, as a focus. But anyway, like that's, a, that's a side tangent. Learn multiple languages that would really set you up for later life. And we could argue, especially in the modern day, if you can learn some sort of programming, that would be even better, right? Like you would have such a head start. And a lot of schools these days, they do have that kind of stuff. Now, again, some schools don't have access to computers and whatever else, like, you know, it's not not ideal, right? But then finally, we come to our kind of teen years. We want to make sure that we're developing muscle mass and strength. That's going to stick with you for the rest of your life. You need to lay down the foundations now, lay down bone mineral density now. All of that stuff, really important. And again, you can play catch up to an extent, but this is, again, your formative years, you know? And then finally, I just want to say on that kind of zero to 18, like engaging hobbies. Look, this is, again, that free play level, you know? So it's like, do a load of different things, you know, literally be like, Oh, I'm going to play a musical instrument. I'm going to do this sport. I'm going to do X, Y, Z, all of these different things. Just figure out what you like, figure out what hobbies you enjoy, because that is something that we're going to come back to multiple times throughout these, these age categorizations, you know, but anyway, Gary, right. We're 18 years old. We've done everything right. Or maybe we haven't done everything right. And we need to play catch up before we move on to the next section. So we're 18 to 30 now. What, What are we focusing on? Yeah, so naturally we'd expect that, right, you've taken care of most of what we were, we've already discussed. As you said, you may have to play catch up and there's definitely lots of what we've already covered that you can continue to build on. This is typically the point at which you're likely to attain a more advanced education. Okay, you're probably going to take your general education um, and specialize at least with most of your educational efforts so that you can get on in the professional world as some sort of 
professional. Even if you're like running your own business and you didn't go to college or anything, you're still going to be gaining specialized education in how to run a business, in finances, in uh, taxes and um, human resource management, et cetera, et cetera. So this is the point where you will be specializing your education a little bit more. Um, along with that, you're really going to be during this time starting to not only with the education side of things, but you're going to be specializing your career a little bit more. You're going to be making decisions as to what direction you want to go in. For example, um, you'll be weighing up decisions like, right, if I want to have a family, am I able to do um, this job? Okay, my wife or my husband, they're also in the workplace. And if both of us are working 80 80 hours a week, I'm not sure we can have six kids, but we want to have six kids. So maybe one of us needs to take a higher paying job and the other person um, is going to spend more time with the kids. They're the type of decisions that you start to maybe think about around this time. You might not have them made, particularly these days when a lot of people don't have kids until, you know, even in their thirties and potentially their late thirties. Now is still a a time where you're like, right, I need to start thinking about this 18 to 30. Okay. So career progression, education related to that, that's going to be something that's key. Along with that, developing experience um, related to your career, but also related to extracurricular or extra career activities is also something that's going to stand to you later in life. For example, it might be experience with uh, traveling. It might be that you've traveled a little bit, you've seen some of the world, you appreciate um, the world beyond just uh, your local level. That's particularly important for you know, people like myself and other people from, you know, more rural Ireland, you know, who haven't even potentially been to a big city or lived in a big city for a while until you've gone to university. Um, you do learn a lot by spending time and experiencing how other people live. So that's something there's something to be said for that. Um, university might be enough. It might be that going from Kerry to Limerick and then to Cork like I did I lived in Dublin for a while maybe that's enough experience for you that's kind of one of the good things about um, a more intercultural or multicultural society like if you live in Dublin like you're going to have friends who are Muslim you know you're going to have black friends you're going to have white friends you're going to have Asian friends you're going to have you know friends or at least acquaintances or people um, in your area that are from many different cultures and you can benefit from that. So experience can be taken through all those different respective domains, educational, career, cultural, and otherwise, and you're likely to benefit from that. So get your experience now. Now, other things, obviously we want to continue developing strength and muscle mass and potentially during this time as well, if you were to specialize in a particular sport, this is the time that you'd be doing that as well. You know, you while early, as a child, you want to be a bit more of a generalist. If you're going to specialize between 18 and 30, now is kind of the time to start to start specializing. Now, becoming a specialist in sport or in um, training isn't necessary for health. Um, and in general, what we would suggest is that people, if they're just concerned about their health and they're happy to, you know, train multiple different modalities, remain a generalist, you know, continue getting stronger, but continue getting fitter as well. And maybe figure out uh, some new skills. Maybe you want to take up some um, martial arts. We mentioned previously that um, homicide or uh, attacks are going to be things that people are exposed to as potential killers or things that might harm them in their future. So having some degree of of self-defense capability would be wise if you wanted to be that generalist during this period of time. Now, 
fitness, of course, can go in many different directions. And we're assuming that as a listener of the triage podcast, you're someone who's already training, you're living that kind of generous, generalist lifestyle, some people will be more specialist. And so that's that. Now, you can continue to develop your aerobic foundations, you can pick activities that are enjoyable as well, which is something that's really important that you're likely to sustain beyond 30. Um, And you're also going to weigh up the decision or weigh up the benefits of of being a specialist with the trade-offs. For example, you might take up a particular sport where you know that everyone that's retired from that sport has had to get knee replacements, hip replacements, et cetera, long-term. That's up to you. You know, that might be something that is worth it. It might be something that's not from a longevity perspective. Furthermore, Ideally, you'd like to make boatloads of money during this time. Okay, that'd be fantastic. If you can start to, you know, get get financially stable, start putting money into the respective areas that we mentioned previously, and put yourself in a position through your education and your experience that we mentioned previously, to either get a significant salary increase during this time, or to be in that position in your 30s, now would be a great time to start to do that. Okay. Along with this, especially as you move towards your late 20s, especially if you're no longer traveling around, this is kind of where you start to become a bit more of an integral member of your community um, and of wider society. So for example, it might be that you've come back to your hometown, um, you're now working as a professional, let's say you're a, a, a local GP, I'll just go with that because I'm in medicine. I don't know why, but I thought you were going to say a local drug dealer, but anyway. <laughs> That's fine too. <laughs> no, if you're, let's say you're a local, you're a local GP, um, and maybe you're you're starting to work, but maybe you're also doing some volunteer work for um, a, a local charity who could avail of uh, some of your medical assistance, or maybe there's a lot of homeless people in the area, and you vom- you volunteer to do some medical checkups on them. Whatever is relevant. What do you carry a lot of? Which I'm surprised you didn't say. You just went out and picked up litter. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that that we that we do and carry um, a lot, which is why Killarney keeps getting the tidy towns because we have fantastic volunteers who keep the streets super clean. You know, you see people walking in the morning, driving around, picking up litter all around the town. And that's something that starts to become more important to you, especially if it's somewhere you're going to live long term, because if you're coming to your, your late your late 20s, moving towards 30 and beyond and you want to have kids, you're thinking, you know what, if I'm going to raise my kids here, I actually want to make sure that, you know, there are clean streets and that it's, you know, safe and that there's neighborhood watch and all these sorts of things. So now is definitely a good time to start giving back to your community as well. Um, what else is there there in 18 to 30? Um, good oral health you had in there as well. Um, if you can keep the old teeth clean and not lose your teeth, that would be fantastic. I have a load of fillings from when I was a kid which looked desperate and I've had one tooth pulled. So I'm not doing a great job now, to be honest, but uh, intact otherwise. Yeah, but the oral health thing, it's like, this is something that people just kind of forget. Like obviously people like, you know, white teeth. They're like, oh yeah, I want to have these sparkling white teeth. But it's like, no, you need to actually do a lot more to encourage good oral health. And again, it sounds like, oh, like obviously oral health. We're like, oh, we understand you want to keep your teeth, you know, blah, blah, blah. But this actually really becomes important as we age, because if you lose all your teeth, like just imagine an animal in the wild that lost all their teeth, like they're not going to survive long term. Right. And it's kind of the same for humans. If you lose your ability to actually get nutrients into the body, look, it's not doesn't bode well for you, you know, and you might be thinking, oh, like, look modern medicine the way it is like we'll just get new teeth implanted or whatever but again it doesn't work out that way you know so 
look, look after your teeth, lay the foundations here now, develop a good oral hygiene checklist, whether it's like brush my teeth two to three times per day and floss my teeth at least once per day. Like, again, it actually does pay off down the line. I personally don't like the idea of mouthwashes, but that's for other reasons related to nitric oxide. But anyway. Yeah. So look, you can uh, brush your teeth, floss your teeth, plus or minus mouthwash may affect your oral microbiome and increase risk of hypertension. But <laughs> there's probably bigger fish for many of you to fry in the meantime. Now, um, other things. Final thing I was saying that just before we move on, um, look after your hearing as well. What? Yeah, exactly. My hearing's actually terrible. So yeah, I know it is. Um, but it is really important. And like you, this again, sounds like stuff like, Oh yeah, yeah. Look after your hearing. But I mean, like you can actually do things in your earlier years that pay off in your later years, like uh, iPhones and Apple these days, they do a thing where they'll be like, Oh, your volume, you've been listening to your music or whatever. It's reached your threshold, your hundred percent threshold over the last seven days or whatever, you know, like that stuff actually does impact you down the line. You know, you start getting like tinnitus and like ringing in your ears and different things or just progressive hearing loss because you haven't been looking after it throughout your, your formative years, you know? And if it's going to be crap in your twenties, like it's going to be crap in your fifties and it's probably going to be awful in your eighties, you know? So you need to make sure that you're actually looking after that stuff earlier in life and actually doing the things that lead to better hearing. Well, at least maintenance of hearing, you need to do that earlier in your life because again, it doesn't necessarily just get better and you don't want to be that, you know, 50 year old that, Oh, my whole life. I've really enjoyed like conversations and listening to podcasts, like the triage method, you know? Um, and then all of a sudden you're like, I oh, actually, I can't really hear all that well. You know, I now need to get like a hearing implant and I'm not able to do the different things that I, I used to, to do and, you know, whatever else. Like you need to be looking after this stuff earlier rather than later, you know? Um, and then the final thing in this, a- this age is continuing engaging in hobbies because this is an age that people just lose all their hobbies. They just stop doing the things. They stop doing the, the things that brought them joy. Like they don't paint anymore. They don't do music. They don't do sports. They don't do whatever. And again, they lose that hobby as a stress reduction method for one, but also they lose all the skills around that, which, you know, as we age, we want to encourage cognitive development or cognitive um, yeah, development and cognitive capacity we want to maintain that at the very least and this is one outfit for that stuff so engage in your hobbies you know yeah you might not be able to do it at the same level you were able to do it but maybe it might even be a sport and you're like i just can't play that sport anymore but perhaps you can give back in some other way like you know a lot of people do this in gaelic football where oh they're not able to play the sport anymore so they go on to become a coach you know or they you know enroll their kids in that their whatever uh local club and they're always down there helping out you know they're like oh yeah i'll you know i'll wash the jerseys or i'll do whatever like you can still be a part i can't speak a part of that society and that community and even though it's not directly necessarily engaging in the hobby that you used to love you are still a part of it you know and again that's one aspect of this whole broader community stuff which is again humans are hypersocial species you, you need to make sure you're an integral part of your community and your society and again if you don't have hobbies in your later life, like you don't want to necessarily just be that old man or old lady who just like sits on the sofa and watches TV, whatever slop is handed to you on the TV, you know? Yep. And now we're 30. I'm 26. So I have no advice to offer. 
I'm 30. So I just, just got into this category. It's too easy. <laughs> so what are you doing? What are you doing now that you're in the 30 to 50 bracket? <clears throat> um, well, there's still a few things. We're basically still checking the boxes with all of the other things that we were talking about. Like you're still, you know, trying to prevent bone loss. And this is especially important if you're a woman, especially because most women are going to hit menopause somewhere in the range of 30 to 50, they're going to hit menopause. Now, again, there's some individuals that are longer than that, but at least that's something that's on your horizon in the kind of 30 to 50 category, likely in the 40 to 50 category, really. But again, it is a bit of a, a Russian roulette. You don't really know when the end date is coming, <laughs> you know? Um, but either way, you need to be looking at preventing bone loss. And again, this comes back to things we've talked about with bone loss or just, you know, maintain, maintaining bone mineral density, doing some resistance training, and then also just getting out and moving. Even walking is a benefit to bone mineral density. And again, walking is also a benefit for keeping your ability to walk, right? And looking after your ability to walk long-term. Because again, very likely you don't want to be the 70-year-old, the 80-year-old that's only able to walk like five steps and then they need a break, right? Because they either don't have the the strength to do it or they don't have the you know aerobic capacity or whatever to be able to do that stuff. And again, you're laying the foundation now in your 30s and 50s. Like if you get 3,000 steps per day and you don't really do any sports or any other activities outside that and you're 30, like it's very unlikely that it's going to significantly improve, get up to 10,000 steps per day by the time you're 70, unless you actively try to do it, you know? So you need to look after that stuff, but it also entails looking after things like your feet. Like, are you, are you actually looking after your feet? Like, are you letting like, I don't know, bunions develop? And now it's like your, your, your feet are all malformed and, you know, you're, you're getting pain from walking, different things like that that start becoming more and more evident as you get older and like you've been fitting your feet into these disgusting pointed shoes and everything for work related purposes and stuff you know you start noticing more of these things you know are you looking after your knees long term you know like are you actually strengthening the muscles around your knees they're actually stable you know and just even getting into the different ranges like you'd be surprised by how many people that just you know sit at a desk all day and if you ask them to actively you know bend their knee into flexion uh they're just like oh yeah literally i get to like Uh, a set or a 120 degree angle at the at the knee and they're like oh no jesus that's starting to hurt a bit i'm trying to get some cramping sensation in my hamstrings like stuff like that again like you'd be surprised by how much people actually notice that stuff and then still do nothing you know or again this is a classic one like people just start plopping down into their seat more and more you know, and then to get out of their seat, they're using their arms and they have to, you know, basically slide off the sofa or the chair or whatever. And it's like, this is stuff that if you're not able to do this now in your thirties to fifties, it's not going to magically get better as you age. Right. And again, you can imagine it. There's an emergency, your house is on fire. You live alone. You're 65, barely able to get out of your seat. Like, do you think that you've put yourself in your best position to be able to survive that? No, right? So you need to look after your feet, your knees, and then also your low back as well. And these are just common sites of injury that prevent people from being able to maintain their walking abilities as they age. Um, but do you have anything to say on that, Gary, seeing as you are the pain and injury management expert? No, as per usual, keep exercising, keep getting stronger. Even if you're not getting stronger, train as if you were trying to do so and stay active. Um, the next thing then is, we want to start engaging in health screening. You know, there's different things. Again, we've talked about it before. The U.S. Preventative Health. What is it called? The U.S. Preventative Health Care. Whatever it's called. Anyway, we'll link it in the show notes. Um, 
but basically they have like different screening things that are like, oh, these are, you know, more or less likely. If you go back to that episode, we talked about like, you know, a few different screening things, what you should be thinking about, you know, doing your own like kind of life assessment. This is especially the age where you want to be doing more and more of that life assessment and going, what are the risk factors that I have? What are the things that are likely to kill me? Um, and then make sure you're doing health screening for them. You know, if you have a history of colorectal cancer in your family, it makes sense to get screening for that. You know, if you have a history of, I don't know, heart disease, like, do you at least have a baseline for where your, you know, LDL is at, at the very least, you know, like, you can do more advanced testing, but do we have some sort of baseline? Like we need to start getting some sort of health screening again, depending on what your GP says to you, depending on what is relevant in your area. Again, there might be, I don't know, some sort of virus that gets people in your area or I don't know, whatever, like it, it's going to be, you know, geographically, you know, relevant. And then also it's going to be dependent on your risk factors. So start health screening. If you don't know what health screening to get, get, you know, just look at the guidelines in your country. Just be like, okay, what guidelines for health screening are recommended for 30 year olds or 50 year olds or whatever, because they're different for men and women. They're different for different ethnicities. They're different for a whole host of different things. So again, you need to get specific ones for you. Like you don't want to be that 50 year old who should have been getting health screening, like all your friends and family were getting health screening and you were like, oh, I didn't even know, you know? And this is especially relevant for guys where we just don't engage in going to the doctor, you know, engage with the, the medical sphere at all. We're just like, oh yeah, like look, it'll look after itself. And it's like, no, like that mold that was on your arm has been growing and it's all jaggedly edged. And it's like, it's not a, it used to be a, a circle and it's not anymore. It's like, you need to get that checked out, <laughs> you know, like there's very basic things. Again, talk to your doctor. We're not doctors. Gary's a, a trainee doctor. I don't even know what you call yourself. You're, you're basically in college. That's all I would say, you know? Um, but then on top of that, you know, this is the age that most people are going to start having children. So start having children at this age. You know, that would be my recommendation. I know it would be yours, Gary, because we both have a bias for having children. So have your yeah, children. Ideally, you should have started in the previous category. 18 to 30 would be best for outcomes. 30 to 50, poor outcomes. I would actually tend to agree. However, look, we live in the modern world. Look, there's a, a trade-off here with, you know, having to develop your, what would be the word? Your financial health. You know, so that's what people have to do. That's a trade off of being a, a millennial in this day and age or even Gen Z or, you know, so unfortunately, most people are not able to have children in their earlier years and they may not want to as well. They may not have found the one. Right. Um, but anyway, 30 to 50, that's generally, you know, look after or start having children, however many you want. If you want to have 12 children, you're probably going to need to start earlier or you know, have multiple wives, <laughs> like, you know, like you need to be thinking about this stuff, as I said, or, or as Gary said earlier on, like, this is the kind of stuff you need to be thinking about in your kind of 18 to 30 age bracket. You need to be like, okay, well, how many kids do I want? Do I even want kids? You know, is it something that I need to start preparing for? Like, how am I going to do that with the job I want or the education I want or whatever it is, you know, or the experiences that I want, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like you need to plan for that stuff. So do you have anything else to say on the 30 to 50 age bracket? Because I actually think this, this age bracket is the one where you can actually do the most for your health, but it's actually very basic because it's basically just make sure you continue to do all of the things that lead to good health. You know, you probably have more money now, you know, you probably have a little bit less stress because you're, you're 
good at your job you're stuck in the rhythm of your job you know you, you know the ins and outs it's not like you're in college every waking moment and you're going like am i making the right decision for me uh, like what should i do here it's like no you, you kind of have your life figured out in your 30s to 50s you know it, it's a little bit easier it's like eat well exercise keep being a, a key po- part of your community have some children and you know keep keep taking along get some health screening what else is there yeah, it's pretty basic to me. I mean, I might change my mind once I get there into my 30s, but for now I won't advise you people. I But I think that the evidence absolutely points to exercise right now being really important, okay? Lay down your muscle mass now and lay down your bone mass. It's going to be very difficult um, as you get older and older to catch up on gains that haven't been made now, um, regardless of your sex. So get on it absolutely it should also be noted that generally it's also you know in the kind of later 20s start of the 30s this is when people start you know laying down more body fat you know where they're just like oh like you know uh, my metabolism is slowing and it's like no your metabolism isn't necessarily slowing it's you know that might be the case for some people you know that it does there is some age-related decline in metabolic rate usually it parallels age-related decline in muscle mass um but you know, maybe there's some metabolic adaptations, but the real one is people just get more sedentary. They just drive places more. They don't walk. Like you can imagine you're a college student, like back in your college days, you used to cycle to college and you know, you'd walk around everywhere and you couldn't get a lift somewhere. You couldn't get the bus or you couldn't get whatever. You're like, oh, I'll just walk there or, you know, whatever it was. You were just way more active, right? And now you're trying to eat the same amount, but you're half as active, right? So you need to account for that. If you are accumulating body fat, that needs to be addressed. And ideally in that kind of 30 to 50 age bracket, you're maintaining a healthy BMI, ideally a healthy body fat level, but at the very least a healthy BMI. And look, we would have a preference for a slightly more muscular physique, you know, male and female, purely because we think of muscle as a protective organ for, well, first of all, you know, general functioning, but also as you age, it is a protective organ. It allows you to ideally not slip fall break your hip do all that stuff but then even if it does happen you have this reserve you know that you can kind of tap into and you have better recovery outcomes at the back end of that you know and so 50 to 70 years gary what do we do now you know this is starting to we're starting to tip into that age bracket where people are kind of like oh actually you know i'm I'm a bit old now you know well you're going to continue with all the above and the important thing here is that you're also going to be becoming a little bit more anabolically anabolically resistant. So you mightn't get the same response to a given level of protein feeding, for example. So keeping a higher protein diet is going to be even more important as you move into this age bracket. And of course, keep up your resistance training as previous, and hopefully you can maintain your muscle mass at this point, potentially gain if you're more untrained, But for most people, if they've been training their entire lives, they're probably looking to maintain at this point for um, the purpose of their health long term. Now, the other thing that's really important here is that although, you know, we talk a lot about the physical fitness, it's also the case that mental fitness is something that might be on the decline here. Okay, so as you move into this age bracket, things like neurodegenerative disease, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, different types of dementia, general cognitive decline, which is normal for aging. These types of things are going to be more on our radar now than they would have been previously. So things like brain training, if you will, 
which might be as simple as you keeping up your hobby or reading, or maybe you're doing Sudoku or crosswords, or, you know, like my dad, he loves watching those TV game shows and puzzles and loves that type of stuff. Um, those types of things are actually really good for maintaining um, your cognitive function into your later years. Okay. Like my, my mom would be given out to my dad because he sits there playing these puzzles on, on his iPad for half the day. But I'm like, do you know what? Yeah. He might be lazy, but he's actually at least probably going to be able to maintain his cognitive function. Okay. Because once you're challenging your mind, it's like your muscles. Um, you're going to be able to maintain those skills for longer. So um, if you're going into that age bracket, it's not all about relaxing and doing nothing and wanting to be able to, you know, retire on the beach, sipping pina coladas. That's fun for two days. Um, but if you're losing your memory, if you're finding yourself not as sharp anymore, that's to some degree preventable. Okay. Not entirely, but you can slow down that process. So keeping the brain active, very important during this time. Another thing that becomes a bit more important during this time is flu vaccination. Okay. So annual flu vaccination, obviously other vaccinations as well, if you're not up to date, the flu vaccine is the one that comes out annually um, and is going to be of more concern for people as they get into older age, because morbidity and mortality associated with the flu on an annual basis, particularly in the winter, is going to generally affect the elderly more. So that's something that's going to be important. Um, you could obviously put in there as well, um, at least in the current climate or potentially in future, if we've got similar outbreaks of, of viruses or, or other um, transmissible diseases that you might want to be more careful with things like masks or it might be social distancing or avoiding um, close contacts of people who have been ill if you're going to be particularly careful about your health especially if you're just washing your hands yeah or washing your hands even you know that'd be helpful you know if you're in your if you're in your 60s and maybe you've you smoked when you were younger and you've got a bit of copd and the chest isn't fantastic anymore let's say you know you are at more at greater risk of those those illnesses so um, even though it mightn't have been something you've paid attention paid attention to in the past, it might be something that's more important now. Now, obviously, it's very uh, topical at the moment, and most people are probably aware of that. But if you think back, like if I had said that three years ago, you'd think that was totally foreign. The idea of like you know an Irish person walking down the road with a mask on, like that would be very odd. Um, but if you're you know have a respiratory illness and you're in an environment where you're at risk, those types of things might be useful for you. Now, furthermore, there are a couple of other things that might be specific to this age group, you know, different uh, screening protocols that wouldn't have been relevant uh, previously. You might also be in a position where you're now starting to maybe experience some symptoms of ill health or maybe disease that was previously um, benign, but maybe is now causing a bit more of an issue. Maybe it, it might be that your blood pressure was previously kind of trending up but not really high whereas now it's high and it might be that now you need to start taking medication from your gp and starting to develop a schedule to make sure that's consistent um, throughout your life that's something that can be quite difficult especially in the 50 to 70 age bracket a lot of people in this bracket are on multiple different drugs especially if they've had a cardiovascular event or cardiovascular disease in the past they might be on six or seven different tablets and remembering to take them each day can be a bit of a challenge or it might just be the friction of having to take so many is just too much. So simple things like having a, a pill organizer, 
um, and things like that can help you out here. Obviously, it's very dependent on your situation, but screening for health conditions and then actually addressing those health conditions as soon as they arise. This is really important during the age bracket because it might be that you're now starting to develop symptoms of a disease process that has been developing over decades, such as heart disease, like we've discussed many times. And the sooner you get on top of it, the better. Yeah, 100%. And then just, again, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about, you want to continue your hobbies. Again, this is an age time or a time where people just, again, start dropping off from their hobbies. They just don't engage in it. Now, some of it's, you know, sporting related. They're like, oh, look, I'm 50. The knees are a bit at me. I can't, you know, do what I used to do. But you need to replace that hobby with something else. You know, you need to continue hobbies. Again, it keeps you connected to the outside world. It keeps you part of the community, keeps you part of society at large. It also, again, like Gary was saying, in regards to brain training, it keeps the brain active. And if it is a physical one, it also keeps the, the body active as well. And again, you just need to continue doing that, those stuff like looking after your oral health, looking after your hearing, like getting regular eye tests or like the window into the soul, so to speak. Like you can see if there's like vascular damage, you're like, oh, actually my blood glucose wasn't as well regulated as I thought it was or well managed as I thought it was. You know, look after your hearing, you know, look after your ability to walk, again, those knees, feet, low back, all those different things. You're going to start noticing a few more niggles around those areas. So get them treated, get sorted with those things. And again, we have that bias towards resistance training, but ultimately there are some other modalities that could potentially help with that. Even if it's stuff like, you know, yoga or stretching or whatever, like there is some therapeutic benefit there. Again, depending on what the issue is, that may or may not help, but ultimately I just want you to be active. I just want you to keep moving in that 50 to 70 age bracket and again same thing again we want to make sure that we're staying in a good body composition area this might actually change you know you might want to put on a little bit of fat you know as you get into the 70s again just like having that kind of muscular reserve you know having a little bit of a fat reserve is potentially beneficial as you age now again we are coming into that kind of anabolic resistance what we don't want to have happen is you know you gain some fat while you're still losing muscle and you get this really like a skinny fat um you know, phenotype where you just look like you're, you've lost muscle and you've, you've gained fat. You kind of want to avoid that. So you do still need to be engaging in resistance training, engaging in activity in general, you know? And then Gary, 70 to hundred, is there anything particularly here that we would necessarily change from the kind of 50 to 70 bracket? Cause this is over a 30 year span. If you can keep everything going that you've done previously, fantastic. Okay. But there are a few other measures that might become important here, such as balance training, for example. You want to be able to maintain your balance at the very least. And if it's been identified as an issue, it might be something that you work on with a physiotherapist or a personal trainer, or it might be something that you need a gate aid for, such as a you know four-wheel walking frame or a Zimmer frame or something like even a walking stick or a crutch or something along those lines. It might be that you have different changes in the home to facilitate your mobility. Simple things like having a higher toilet seat, um, having maybe a walk-in shower, these types of things that you might not even think of become very relevant in old age. Because if you have to constantly step in over a big massive bath, you know, which I always had in my house as a kid rather than a step-in shower, you know, I even remember as a kid, like, you might do that a hundred times and maybe once you kind of slip and catch yourself. But if you're old, that once could be the time that 
killed you potentially well, so you've seen how high my bath is in, in yeah. my hand like the thing is literally up to my waist like you know and i'm quite tall you know so you can imagine if you're a, a 70 or 80 year old trying to get in and out of that i can't even speak today get in and out of that like the chance of injury the risk of injury just goes up dramatically yeah so home modification something that becomes important there other things are more specific like for example um not if you're if your mobility is like genuinely declining and you're walking around the house in slippers and there's rugs everywhere and there's a dog running around the place they're all falls risks you know so um those types of things become important and that's something to look out for your grandparents or your parents as well um if you're in their house and you see a a carpet's maybe curled up as they walk uh, out of the the sitting room that's a, a trip hazard and again can have potentially grave consequences for people who are older and who are struggling with their mobility so that's really important um, the other thing as well is like doing your best to not give in to your decline in function because this can be a a real vicious cycle it's expected that between 70 and 100 you're going to have significant declines um, in your function versus where you were when you were 30 regardless of your kind of uh, pre-morbid level of fitness if you will um, you're going to have a decline but if you give into that too easily and we often facilitate that this as younger people where we won't allow the elderly to walk or to carry their own shopping or to do anything for themselves we want to help them with everything but the downside of that while as kind as it is it can sometimes lead to them just losing those basic skills of not walking anymore not really getting out of the chair anymore because you're always helping them up those types of things okay so continue short-term good but a long-term evil Exactly. The, the keeping up as much as you can within reason um, is a good idea. You do have the other extreme people like my own grandfather, who if we weren't to stop him, he'd be up a ladder literally on the roof at 86 years of age, can barely walk, but would be trying to do everything for himself. OK, there's definitely another uh, extreme there, too. Um, some elderly people are absolute gunners and just will never stop. Uh, but a lot of us are, are a lot of us elderly people, a lot of elderly people in our society naturally start to do a bit less as they get old. And that's fine to a certain point. We just don't want it to get so bad that they're not able to get out of a chair. And a really important one that they're not able to get up off the floor. That's a really important thing that can happen is if someone can't get off the floor and they have a fall, even the simplest thing like being able to get to the phone to call for help could be literally life-saving. So getting up off the floor, having that level of mobility at the very least is just really, really important in this age bracket. Yeah, 100%. And again, all the other things still apply. Flu vaccine, health screening, engage with the medical community. If you need to be taking drugs, take the drugs, (laughs) you know, all that kind of stuff. We would still argue, you know, if you can do some resistance training, do some aerobic training, do some training full stop i really don't care what it is just keep yourself active if you can do it daily if you can get out for walks like the longer you can keep yourself active the better your life is going to be you know and again that's not just from the fact that it'll maybe hopefully prolong your life it'll keep your quality of life quite high like imagine even just going for a walk during the day you know and going down to the shops even just you know saying hello to a few people you know versus the person that is effectively housebound you know, they're not able to leave their house at all, which I'm sure you saw a huge decline in muscle mass, strength, et cetera, because of all the lockdowns um, with older individuals. And like that was probably like, again, it's one of those things where it probably saved a good few people because, you know, 
they didn't get COVID, they didn't die, they were in an at-risk population, but it probably did cut some years off their life because they now have, uh, or they now have a decline in muscle mass. You know, they weren't, they weren't bed bound per se, you know, but they were sitting at home a lot more, you know, the social connections, they were reduced, you know, they weren't able to engage with the community around them and muscle mass goes down, bone mineral density goes down, their ability to walk goes down, all those different things went down, you know, so there are trade-offs in, in that respect. Um, but ultimately, when we're talking about this health and longevity stuff, you want to make sure that your quality of life stays high. And one of the ways to do that is to ensure that you're actually able to interact with the world. You know, like if you've been delaying, you know, traveling and gaining all these experiences until you get to 65, and then you get to 65 and your ability to walk around that beautiful, you know, city of Rome or whatever that you've always wanted to visit. And you're like, I, I just can't do this. You know, your entire holiday trip, whatever is ruined because you're barely able to walk around. Like that's, you know, you've been waiting 30 years, 40 years for this. And now, you know, you're not able to experience it because of this kind of functional decline, you know? So even though we're talking about this kind of 70 to hundred year age bracket, it is something that you want to be considering throughout your life. You know, don't reduce your functional capacity. Don't reduce your ability to interact with the world if at all possible. And that's it. Life is done. Fantastic. Well, I personally plan on living to 120. So there's another 20 years after this, but I'm saving that secret sauce for, you know, when I'm a hundred years old and I'm doing the podcast, you know, and I'm like, all right, look, you know, this is, this is how we do it. You know, you'll obviously be long dead though. Gary's been dead for 40 years. So I'm going to open the podcast today. Yeah. So look, hopefully, you know, we look back on this in the future when I'm 120, well, I'll reach 120. You will only reach whatever, maybe 85. We give me that 85. If I'm lucky. Um, we'll look back and we'll be like, oh man, I couldn't, couldn't believe we forgot this main, main thing that we should cover that the, the it, ideal at 35, that you should have inserted that thing. You should have been doing that thing. And look, that's the nature of science. That's the nature of all this stuff. Like, you know, new discoveries happen. And then also, you know, this is just a podcast. It's just two lads having a chat. So it doesn't cover absolutely everything. You know, I know there's definitely people listening to this and going, oh, they should have covered this very specific, oddly specific thing. And that's a, that's the key. And in reality, it's like, look, if you can just keep yourself active, keep the diet good, you know, do all the different things that we've talked about, keep your sleep good. You know, like we didn't, we intentionally didn't focus on just the fundamental stuff that we talk about all the fucking time. You know, like it's presumed you're doing that stuff already. We've talked about it in the last episode and all of the episodes before that, you know, so we're presuming you're doing those foundational things. But then on top of that, there are these other different things that we can be, you know, thinking about as we age through our life. But anyway, Gary, wrap it up for us there. Do you have anything else final to say? As always, guys, if you're interested in coaching with triage, we do have coaching spaces available. You can find the information in the description box below. You can also avail of all of the free content that we put out on our social media by following at triage method on Instagram and our respective coaches, all of whom you will find on that Instagram page. You can also keep up with other free content by subscribing to our triage method email list, which will be linked below as well as the triage method community Facebook group, which will also be linked below. And then the final step to take is to leave a rating slash review on the podcast. If you can, or at least share it with a friend, share it on your Instagram story and help spread the word. 
fantastic. I have nothing else to say. So peace out, everyone. Enjoy yourself. <laughs>